It's not a role that you put yourself in. It's, it's a role that your team puts you in. You know, you can't be a fraud. You can't go out there and, and talk the talk, but not walk the walk. You have to be who you are. And I think they've seen over the years that I try to lead by example, but I'm genuine. You can be vocal, you can lead by example, you can do all those things, but they have to see you in that role. You can't just put yourself in that role. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Skull Stories. I'm your host, Mike Wobshell, inside TCO Studios at Winter Park with a cool edition of Skull Stories tonight. Normally, we take you behind the scenes and give you more details about someone or something with a prominent place in Vikings history, and it's a past player, coach, or member of the organization. Tonight, it's a current member of the organization who has a prominent place in Vikings history, even though he's still playing. It's defensive end Brian Robison, one of our favorites at the Vikings Entertainment Network. B-Rob still getting it done on the field. In fact, in the Vikings' 23-10 win over Green Bay, Brian Robison led us in quarterback pressures with six, and he had a quarterback sack, all on just 28 snaps where he was rushing the passer. So B-Rob getting a lot of bang for his buck. He's got a really cool story, both on the field and off the field. So we had a chance to sit down with him and have an extensive conversation where we talked about being drafted, his career here in Minnesota, how he's emerged as a leader, and perhaps most importantly to him, his contribution to the community and his performance off the field, where he uses his foundation, the Real Men Foundation, and K9 for Cops to make a big difference. That's where we start our conversation with Brian Robison. Take a listen. All right, Brian, you're about playing great defense and helping out in your community. The main way you help out in the community is through your foundation, the Reel Em In Foundation. Give us a little rundown of how that started. We actually came up with the uh, concept of it back in 2015, and last year was the first year that we actually put it in motion. And uh, what I wanted people to find out about me was how things kind of run my life and for me, that comes down to what I call the four F's. It's faith, family, football, and fishing. And I thought, what would be a better way to do that than to have a foundation event where I can put on a fishing tournament, I can bring in professional anglers, pair them up with football guys, NFL football players, other personalities that we've brought in, and raise a bunch of money for, for Canines for Cops, which is our charity right now. And the reason why we went with them was because you know, a few issues. Within 15 minutes, I knew they were the organization I wanted to be be with. Um, my dad was a cop for 29 years in the Houston Police Department, um, and my wife was really the one who turned me on to them by um, seeing a demonstration that they had done. Christy Schiller, who's the founder of Canines for Cops, does a big barrel race down in Texas, and uh, they did a canine demonstration there. So that's kind of how that whole deal got started. Um, but that's what I wanted. I wanted people to get to know Brian Robinson, the family man, the fisherman, the football player, all the aspects of my life. And so for me, it was, I get these guys to come out, do an open tournament where they can go out and fish for fun, get treated professionally, like it's a professional tournament, and then have the option to get on the boat with, you know, a guy like Kevin Van Dam and myself, or, you know, Mark Daniels and Adrian Peterson, all these professional fishermen and football players that people look up to, um, and then have the opportunity to get on the boat with those guys the next day and fish with them. And uh, that's kind of how we raise all our money. Another one of your endeavors, canines for cops. How did this get started? And talk about 
you finding ways to help local police departments get canines to help them out? Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I think since day one, uh, Christy Schiller and I, who's the founder of Canines for Cops, uh, have clicked since day one. I mean, she's kind of got the same attitude I, I have, which is just fun, outgoing. Um, you know, you, you, what you see is what you get with her. And uh, our, our relationship has definitely grown from there. You know, when we, we started this deal, um, we wanted to raise as much money as possible to donate these dogs. These dogs cost between ten dollars to $15,000 to put into the hands of their handlers. Um, and the thing about it is, is what I think they do that's so great is when there's, there's a canine that's been lost in a line of duty or there's a police station that can't afford a canine, that's when they really become important because they bring these canines in, they train the, the dogs, they bring the, bring the handlers in to know how to work these dogs. And they place them in, back in those units. And for us, what it came down to was how can we affect as many lives as we possibly can in a positive manner? Um, when you do something like this, not only do you affect the people around you, but you affect communities, you affect regions in the state, counties. I mean, you affect more people than you'll ever know just by placing a canine in there, by getting drugs off the street, um, you know, putting bad guys in jail um, that aren't doing the right things. I mean, all those situations, you can affect people in a positive manner. So last year we were able to donate two dogs. We ended up donating one in Center, Texas, uh, which he was at my Texas Foundation event. Um, and then we also donated one in Red Wing, Minnesota. Um, and then this year, you know, with our Texas event, we were able to raise enough money to, I think we're looking at pretty close to five dogs to being able to donate just from that event. And so moving forward to our Minnesota event, we're hoping to uh, be able to add a couple more to that and um, just keep, keep affecting lives in a positive manner. You have a big, awesome, cool fishing event down in Texas every off season, and you had one this past off season. Tell us about it. Well, it was a very, very stressful time, uh, but it was very, very gratifying when it was all over. So, you know, Friday we kind of went into registration mode. We registered our anglers and stuff like that. Saturday, you know, it was early morning. We got up at I think four in the morning to get their registration. We did launch at seven a.m. or six forty-five a.m. Um, and then was just kind of hustling and bustling to get auction items out, things like that, start getting things ready for when they came in, the meals, all that stuff. Um, and it just seemed like an ongoing process, but at the end of the day, we had a great event. Um, the auctions went great. You know, we raised a bunch of money. Um, you know, the weather kind of was a big deal with Saturday's weather was beautiful. Um, it got a little windy, but it was beautiful weather. Sunday was a little bit different story. I mean, we had, tornadoes and lightning and rain and everything else and um you know hats off to the anglers that came out there they made it up to a few of the guys i know i've gotten texts from the guys this week saying they made it up to their guys that uh bid on them taking them fishing at different lakes around the country and stuff like that so we had a great group of guys and not only you know my teammates as well but um you know like linval and terrence newman and daniel came out i mean all those guys you know adrian came out um, and that means a lot to me because, you know, that's the kind of type of people you want to be a part of your foundation. This guy's going to do whatever it takes to, to help your event be successful. You're a good person who wants to give back, but you also have a platform that very few other people have. And you like to use that platform to help give back to the community. 
Talk about why you think it's important for athletes to do that and why it's important for you. It's very important to me because, you know, there's been a lot of people, there's a lot of people that have affected my life in positive manner in order to get me where I'm at now. And so for me, I want to be able to do the same thing back, you know, not, not just for them, but for, you know, people, whether it be here in Minnesota, whether it be in Texas, uh, and really all over the country. I mean, I want to be able to affect their lives in a positive manner, show that, you know, you can, you can be a great athlete, but you can also be a great role model. You can be a great person and a leader in your community. Uh, so it's very, very important for me to give back because, um, you know, I believe in karma. I believe when you do good things, good things come back to you. But at the same time, I believe that a younger generation is looking towards the NFL players as, you know, how should I live my life? How should I, I become a great athlete? And what we want to show these younger guys is, you know, you can be a great athlete, but you can also be a great person. And that's really what we need to show them. Your commitment to community and giving back, did that change in any way once you became a father? And how does having kids maybe open your eyes to wanting to help out your fellow citizens in that way? Well, I think it's very important. I think, I think one, because uh, obviously that's, that's a time that I get to spend with my, my kids and, and show them how to be a positive influence in other people's lives. But definitely another reason is, you know, I want my kids to understand that, you know what, no matter how bad things get in your life or no matter how good things are in your life, you know, it can always be worse. And there's a lot of people out there that are really struggling. And so you have to do things sometimes to sacrifice your own time, your own money to help other people out. And, and that's one thing that I think is kind of lost in this country a little bit right now is you've got you know, people that are all out about themselves. And you know what, sometimes that's what you have to do, but at the same time, I think if people would um, you know, respect people a little bit more, show a little bit of love, more love and generosity to other people, I think it obviously makes our planet a lot better place. Job security, not always great in this league. Roster turnover is high, but you're here with the Vikings, your 11th season, you've had a few different contracts. Why has it been important for you to stay with the Vikings for your entire career? The team that drafted you going now on 11 seasons with the Vikings, that's rare in sports. Why is that important to you? Um, you know, it, it was very special to me, and uh, I'll try not to tear up talking about this, but um, it's definitely a situation where you don't see much in the NFL anymore, where a player's being loyal to a, a program and a program being loyal to a player. You know, there was some there were some trade-offs there that happened with that whole negotiation and everything. Obviously, I took a little bit of a pay cut, but I earned an extra year in the back end. So, um, you know, the Vikings really went out on a limb for me, and that means a lot to me and my family. Um, but this was definitely a place where I wanted to be. You know, it wasn't a situation where I had to take a pay cut because there weren't going to be any other options or I wasn't going to be here. It was a situation where it was good. It was a win-win for both sides. You know, this was an opportunity for me to give back to the place that has given me so many opportunities, but at the same time, uh, just another opportunity for them to give me, you know, an extra chance and an extra opportunity to keep moving forward. It gives me the opportunity to retire in purple, which is something that was very important to me. Um, you know, and it allows me to extend my legacy in purple. And uh, that, those are all things that mean more to me than anything. This, is, this really has become a second home for me and my family. And it's a situation for us to be able to continue that on for another couple of years um, and, and hopefully be able to retire in purple and pretty much be a Viking for life. 
More great stuff with Brian Robison coming up after the break. But first, a programming note. Join host Mike Musman along with Latavius Murray at the Lookout in Maple Grove on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. for a live broadcast of Vikings Country. You could win some great prizes, including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. And stay tuned for more B-Rob coming up after this. Hey everyone, welcome back to Skull Stories. Mike Wobshaw with you right now. We're going to bring Brian Robison back to continue our chat with him. But first, I want to tell you about the Vikings app. Be the first to know breaking Vikings news, access video on demand, and get ticket alerts all on your phone with the Minnesota Vikings app. Download today in the App Store and Google Play. Our guest tonight on Skull Stories is Brian Robison. Here's more from B Rob. Late April 2007, draft day for you. The Minnesota Vikings select you. Walk us through that day. What was it like being drafted by the Vikings? Man, it was crazy. I was actually, uh, I think I woke up pretty mad, actually, because I didn't get drafted the day before. And so uh, I was pretty mad, but that's kind of the way I've always been. Is, you know, I've always had a chip on my shoulder no matter what. So, um, but I remember getting calls like at eight o'clock in the morning before the draft even started. And I'm like in bed and I'm, I'm just like, why are people calling me? Like, stop, wait till 10. Well, um, you know, there was three or four teams that called me and it, it started really early for me. And it was, um, it was weird because I hadn't really talked to Minnesota that much. Um, I think I had one conversation with Brendan Daly and, and he was our D- assistant D line coach here when, I came in and I had one conversation with him for like 15 minutes at the combine. That was it. I mean, the teams that I had talked to the most were probably the Cowboys and the Steelers and uh, the Eagles. Um, and it was kind of an odd situation because at that point in time, you know, I was hearing, well, it's going to be the Giants. Well, it's going to be the Cowboys. Well, it's going to be San Francisco and everything else. And then it was like all of a sudden, as I get this phone call and it's a 612 number. And I'm like, Minnesota, who's calling me from Minnesota? Well, I pick up the phone and it was Paul Rowe, one of our, our scouts. And he said, how do you feel about being a Minnesota Viking? And I can remember like it was yesterday, I just broke down in tears because you realize that all this hard work that you've put into it um, has finally paid off. And I remember, <laughs> I remember telling Paul, I said, well, it's about time somebody called. <laughs> and uh, I guess, as they say, the rest was history. 2007 feels like a long time ago, and it kind of is in, in NFL history. You came in then as the young guy right off of a college campus. Now you're the veteran. You're a leader on the team, and you're one of the most veteran players on this roster, the most veteran player on this roster. What's that like for you now, considering you came in as such a young pup? Yeah, it's it's been crazy because it seemed like it happened just overnight. I mean, I can remember you know, literally going into 2011, I was probably the fifth or sixth oldest guy in the D-line room. And then all of a sudden we go into 2011 and I am the oldest guy in the D-line room. So it literally happened what seemed to be overnight. And, uh, but it's something that I don't take for granted at all. You know, uh, that that's something that anybody that meets me and understands me is I live every day to the fullest. And I never, I never have regrets, but I never take anything for granted either because it's 
very rare that you get to see a guy, one, be in the NFL for 10 years or eight or seven or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then it's even more rare for a guy to be a part of the same program for you know, 10 or 11 years. I mean, you see it with Chad Greenway and Kevin Williams and, uh, you know, a few of those other guys, but it, it just doesn't happen that often in the NFL anymore. And um, it's something that I'm very proud of. It's something that I'm very excited that I get to continue that moving forward a little bit longer. And um, at the end of the day, you know, this is, like I said, this is a second home for us. There are lots of alpha males in this sport, in this league, and a lot of these guys were big men on campus that you all come together into the same locker room. So not everyone can be a leader, but you are. Why did that happen? And talk about the importance of leadership in the locker room. Well, I think, I think when you talk about being a leader, um, it's not a role that you put yourself in. It's, it's a role that your team puts you in. And you have to understand that. You have to understand that you have to be yourself. You know, you can't be a fraud. You can't go out there and, and talk the talk but not walk the walk. You have to be who you are. And that's what I try to do every day is when I go into that building, I am who I am. Um, I'm going to do what I do. And, and the guys know that. They know that every day you're going to get the true Brian Robinson. And I think they've seen over the years that I try to lead by example, but I'm genuine. And, and that's, that's what makes a leader to me is, you know, you got to be genuine. You, you can be vocal. You can lead by example. You can do all those things. Um, but they have to see you in that role. You can't just put yourself in that role. All right, three different head coaches for you. Right now it's Mike Zimmer. You came in, it was Brad Childress. You've been here with Leslie Frazier. Now it's Coach Zimmer. Talk about him. What do you appreciate about Coach Zimmer, the way he leads this team, and what do you think about playing for Mike Zimmer? Mike Zimmer may understand offenses more than most offensive coaches do. That, that's the crazy thing about him is he's such an intelligent coach when it comes to coaching our defense, and he wants that to trickle down throughout the players. He wants everybody to know what everybody's job is on every single play. And I think that only helps us because if a linebacker knows what the D-line is doing, they know how to play off those guys. And so, so it trickles back. You know, if the DBs know what the linebackers are doing, you know, they can play off of those guys as well. And that's what he's always preached from day one, that he wants the most physical team. He wants the team that's going to show the most effort. He wants the team that's going to have the smartest players. Uh, these are all things that he preaches every day is, is smarter, tougher, more disciplined football teams. And I think that has really come to show over the last few years. And I think that's why I wanted to be back here so bad um, is because I truly believe, you know, every year we go into the offseason talking about what we can do this year, what, you know, the things we can accomplish. And every team does that in the offseason. But I wanted to come back here and I wanted to be a part of this program because I truly believe that we're on the cusp of something great. And I think a lot of that is a testament to the way Coach Zimmer coaches his football team and the way that he wants his players to understand the game. Your position coach is Andre Patterson. And really, you know, we have head coach, we have a coordinator, but you spend the most time with your position coach. You're in meetings with them three, four, five days a week. Tell us the relationship you have with Andre Patterson and what you appreciate about him. He's very important. Uh, he's invaluable, if you ask me. I mean, the things that he's come in since day one, to teach his players, um, he understands that not every guy is the same. So we may not go out and do every guy do the same exact drill. There may be some little wrinkle in that he puts in for me or Everson or Daniil or, or Tom Johnson or any of those guys. And we all do something a little bit different. We all have our own little niche. 
And Andre understands that. He understands that there's going to be some different things throughout the ball game that we're going to do compared to the other guy. And so he coaches those things. He um, he's very hands-on. He's um, he's also a mentor to us off the field. You know, we we talk every week about off the field issues and. Um, he's one of those figures that, you know, when he talks, you listen. And um, he's very intelligent as far as the game goes and in life. He's been through a lot of stuff growing up in, in Oakland and things like that. But he's a guy that we all respect um, and probably one of the best D-line coaches in the league that um, I don't think, in my personal opinion, doesn't get the credit that he deserves. Why is it important to have a solid rotation when it comes to defensive linemen, particularly defensive ends? You guys are primarily charged with rushing the passer. If you play well on early downs, you get to rush the passer um, late in a series. Why is it important to have a, a solid rotation, and what's it like to be a part of a rotation that is really effective? You know, as a player and a competitor, I think we all hate it because uh, none of us want to go off the field. But I think in the end, when you think about it, um, you take a, a step back and you actually think about it from a different perspective. Um, it obviously helps us. You know, anytime you can get fresh bodies on the field, that wears on an offensive line because they they can't rotate. So when you're able to do that, and they all of a sudden a fresh guy comes on the field, I mean, mentally that's exhausting to them because now they've got to deal with a guy that can run full speed for the next you know five six plays. Um, and then you talk about all the different roles that, you know, we, that I play, um, but, but along with, you know, being able to bring in different guys on pass rush downs, you know, you can bring in a whole new set with our defensive line on pass rush downs. And so now they got a whole different set of problems to deal with. And um, for me personally, I think it's helped my career because there was a situation that I was in there for three or four years. I think I was playing close to a thousand plays, you know, per year. And uh, that wears on you very, very fast. And I think having Dre come in and really starting to, you know, the first year was kind of rough. We didn't get as much rotation as I think we originally thought we were going to have. But as the years have gone by and we've gotten guys like Daniel that can come in and we don't have a drop off, um, you know, it's definitely helped me prolong my career a little bit because I feel better throughout the season. You know, I'm not getting into December and just feeling like I've, you know, been in a hundred car accidents or something like that. It's an opportunity where, you know, I get to rest my legs a little bit, but still go out there and make, make plays. Injuries, unfortunately, are such a big part of the game. We see it every single week on every single team. Knock on wood, you have not avoided injuries, but you've had injuries that you've been able to play through and you've only missed one game in your career availability, durability, so important in this game. You've been that way. Talk about that in your career and why you think it's happened to you. Well, I think, I think any of my teammates tell you, I'm going to give you everything I've got, every play, every second, every, every game. Um, unless I've just got something that's really, really bothering me, I'm, I'm going to be out there with my guys, you know, because it's not about me. It's about the team, and it's about what I can do to help the team win. It's, it's always been about that. You know, it's never been about the money. It's never been about, you know, any of the issues that you hear players playing for. It's always been about respect uh, of my teammates and the respect of the other team. Uh, that's what it's always been about for me. And so for me, I'm always going to be out there. And, you know, it doesn't just start with, you know, going out there and playing ball and not getting hurt. I mean, there's a lot of luck involved. There's a lot of preparation during the off season that's involved. Um, and then there's just 
you know, being blessed, you know, being lucky. I mean, there's some situations you get in a football field that um, things probably should go in a, in a bad way and somehow you find yourself out of it. And I mean, I, I guess, you know, thank God for that. You know, he's he's been there for me since day one, obviously, and um, I always have to thank him first. But the preparation throughout the off season is always something that um, I pride myself on is making sure I'm in the best shape I can possibly be in so I don't get in those situations. And uh, and then, like I said, there's just a lot of luck involved. You were a young player, a draft pick who came on and, and impressed early and eventually got to get on the field early in your career. Now you're watching Daniil Hunter do that. He's emerging as a playmaker for this team, yet you still find ways to contribute and you find ways to help Daniil become a better player, even though you play the same position. Why have you approached it that way? And talk a little bit about Daniil. Well, and this is, I guess this is where my mentality is a little bit different than most guys. I believe every single year you go into a season, it should be open competition. I mean, I believe that it doesn't matter if you've been a starter for 10 years. It doesn't matter if you've been a starter for five years. Every year is a new year. And I said it from day one when the season was over, Daniil should get more reps. I mean, he had 12 and a half sacks last year. You, you've got to bring a guy in like that that can be a game changer. There's no doubt about it. Um, does that mean I'm going to step aside and just give him my role? Absolutely not. I mean, I'm a competitor. That, you know, that's what I do. Uh, and we're going to go and compete. And if he's able to beat me out in the season and get a starting job, I'm not going to gripe about it. I'm not going to complain about it. It's what's best for the team. And that's the way I've always been is it's about the team. It's not about myself. Um, the team always weighs more than yourself. It, you know, you can't do anything personally without a team, you know. So for me, it's, it's about going out there, competing every single day. Um, and it's only going to make us better. You know, it, whether I'm the starter or Daniil's the starter, it's going to make us better because we're going to compete. And it's going to make the other guy better. So for me, that's what it's always been about. And uh, like I said, does that mean I'm going to give it up to him? Absolutely not. We're going to compete and we're going to have fun at it. And at the end of the day, it's about winning ball games. And uh, doing whatever we can do to put our, our team in the best situation to win. Everson Griffin, the sack daddy. You know him as well as anyone, probably better than anyone else, at least around here. What, what is it about Everson that makes him good? What have you noticed from him during his career because you've seen all of it, and, and why is he such an important part of our team? I think he brings passion. Um, I think he keeps people a little bit relaxed sometimes because he's a lot like me. He's a jokester. He likes to play around, have fun, laugh. Um, but he also brings an energy about him that when you look at a guy like that, um, it's one of those situations where you see a guy literally give it everything he's got every single play to to make a play happen. And he's, he's a guy that can take a game over. And... Uh, you know, I think when we look at ourselves in a D-line room, that's what we all want to be. We want to be game changers. We want to be able to take a game over as a group. And when you've got a guy on your defensive line like that that does the things that he does from an athletic standpoint, but also from a physical standpoint in the run, uh, that's kind of what you know young guys should look at as far as, as far as how to be a player on the field. Expectations for this defense. It seems like you guys can't play any better, but expectations – never go down they only go up and they will for this defense as the season wears on so forget about outside the building and what people expect inside the building what is expected of you guys and what do you expect of yourselves well I think we can't expect anything less but to be the best defense in the NFL um you know we started off really really good last year and uh things just kind of fell apart with us 
uh, towards the end of the year. But I think we've got the guys in the room to get it done. I think we've got the guys in the room uh, for us to be a number one NFL defense. But it's going to come down to us working hard every single day, um, doing the thing that things that Coach Zimmer preaches as far as being you know disciplined, tough, um, smart football teams, making smart plays. Um, and all 11 guys being on the same page. You know, we've shown that if all 11 guys are on the same page, we can be a pretty dang good defense. But if there's one guy off or here and there, then that's when things go a little array. So we've got to definitely make sure that we, you know, are mentally into it just as much as physically. But um, I, I think sky's the limit for our defense. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Skull Stories. We thank Brian Robison for joining us, and we thank you for listening. The Vikings play again this Sunday at noon at U.S. Bank Stadium. They welcome the Baltimore Ravens to town as the Vikings look to stay atop the NFC North. A victory will move them to 5-2. and two. And then the week after, the Vikings are going across the pond. They go to London, but before we depart for London to play the Browns, We'll be back with another edition of Skull Stories on Tuesday evening, so we hope you join us for that as well. On behalf of Brian Robison and Skull Stories producer Nate Vaughn, I'm your host, Mike Wobshaw, signing off for now. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next Tuesday night.